Welcome to The Mystic. So I'm Dr. Scott Morris, and I'm joined today with uh, Joy Marseille from uh, Crosstown Arts, Reverend Joshua Narcisse from Church Health, and the one and only Kirk Whalem, the world's greatest saxophone player. Uh, we're missing our good friend Micah Greenstein today, Rab- Rabbi Greenstein, yeah. um, but he'll be back with us next month, and we are so glad you're with us. And here to get us started is Kirk Whalem. So what is the mystic? It's not Muslim prayers on Friday, Jewish prayers on Saturday, or Christian prayers on Sunday. The mystic is a catalyst through music, story, silence, and dialogue. We hope to strengthen our attachment to hopes and dreams. In the mystic, diversity is a prerequisite for all creativity, which is why Crosstown Concourse is the perfect home. In the mystic, The world is far better served by the different beliefs than it could ever be if limited by rigid uniformity. And even if this doesn't rock your gypsy soul, the goal of the mystic is to not feel better, but get better at feeling. I ask that we are filled with the strength to open our hearts and treasure the differences that distinguish us. And may the music of compassion kindness, spirit, and insight fill this hour. You're listening to The Mystic. Uh, Today, we're going to have a conversation um, that sometimes is a little less focused on, especially in the arenas of spirituality. Um, But whether you grew up in church or you grew up uh, perhaps in a generation that feels very distant from the newest generations coming around now, um, perhaps because of your age or your race, um, your gender expression, The topic of mental health may be a very difficult topic to engage, um, but I want us to kind of dive into the complexities of mental health and um, why we do and don't engage it effectively in our communities. So just a little context, um, you may or may not know this, but electroshock therapy was popularized in the 1940s um, and was continued to be popular until around the late 60s and early 70s which means there's an entire generation that is still around today whose first exposure to mental health crisis um, was via really aggressive means of of therapy, quote-unquote therapy. Perhaps you grew up in the church and were told that um, the only thing you needed was Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps you grew up uh, as a, a person of color in this country where your survival 
was more focused on than your mental health. And so you need to make sure you had food to eat, place to sleep, um, a job to go to. And honestly, everything else came second, third, fifth, 27th on the list. Um, so depending on what your identity is, you may have a very complicated relationship with mental health. I know for those who um, struggle with um, their gender identity or their sexual identity, uh, suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts, um, suicide itself uh, is incredibly prevalent. And so I wanted to kind of get into our thought processes around, um, around mental health and the importance of mental health care, but also acknowledging that we have a wide range of ages um, and spiritual backgrounds and, um, and racial backgrounds at this table. And so I wanted to kind of engage in that conversation from the various backgrounds we all come from. So I'm going to ask us to get as vulnerable as we all feel comfortable. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so just to start off, uh, and whoever wants to take this first uh, is great. Um, just thinking about your identity, your race, your gender expression, your spirituality. What has been your experience with mental health personally? As we all look at each other and figure out who's going to talk first. <laughs> no, we, we all said Joshua. <laughs> um, I, I chuckled when you talked about uh, mental health in relation to church, right? Because I very much uh, was brought up in the, um, you know, the once you get to the Jesus and, right, you've messed up the formula. There's no Jesus and, you just Jesus full stop. You know, you're feeling bad, pray about it. You're sick, pray about it. Um, you're worried about something. Don't be anxious over anything, right? Just pray about it. Um, Jesus is able to handle it. And, you know, as a minister, I buy into much of that, right? Like we we do, our, our living and our hope and our desires ought to be guided by and, get, and all pulled toward who Christ is in our lives. And also... Licensed mental health professionals are a thing, and they are folks who should be engaged. Um, uh, I'm in a new position at Church Health, right? Uh, Scott, let me stick around um, and be director of spiritual care, right? And so a a good chunk of my day um, is spent, depending on how my schedule falls, speaking with staff members. And in those conversations, I get to a point where my pastoral training runs out. Mm. And if I continue in this conversation, I do you a disservice because I don't have all the tools necessary to help you make a well-rounded decision about where you're going to go next, right? It it behooves me to pass the ball to someone who has a different kind of training. Mm -hmm. Um, But back to the the me part, uh, because you asked us to be vulnerable, Um, I don't think I took mental health seriously until I got to um, undergrad. So we went to the same college. We sat through the same uh, student orientation. And I can remember them coming out talking about mental health and the counseling services on campus. And the person who was making the pitch made a particular um, appeal to the parents sitting in the room because she understood the nature of mental health and how it's discussed in the African-American community Mm -hmm. um, as something that's taboo most of the time, something that you don't, uh, that's for quote-unquote crazy people, right, Mm -hmm. to use the derogatory term. Um, I'm not crazy, so I don't need mental health. And the appeal was to help parents to understand that you don't have to be quote-unquote crazy, you don't have to be un- um, something that doesn't have to be necessarily wrong, that everyone needs someone to talk to, um, and that the resources were there. And it was in it was during undergrad where I can remember, it was my junior year, um, I think it was the time I scared my friends the most. It was my junior year. I was chapel system president. I was on ASB. I was doing 10,000 things. I think I was taking close to 20 credits. And something just snapped. I just could not do anymore. Yeah. Um, like I wasn't gonna hurt myself. I was. I just. I just couldn't do. I just could not. I couldn't respond to a text message. I didn't want to be on Facebook. I just could not get out of the bed, and I spent that entire day in bed. Didn't answer anyone's text messages, phone calls, to the point where my friends had snuck into the West Towers <laughs> and were beating down my door to figure out what in the world was going. They were calling anyone and everyone because I hadn't responded, right? And that's when I realized. It became it, it crystallized to me how serious our mental health is alongside our physical health mm-hmm. um, and crystallized to me that 
Jesus and is a valid formula, mm. um, especially when we butt up against walls that we just can't climb over. Yeah. I, I want to say that, you know, briefly to say that the Jesus and could also be looked at as the invisible and mm -hmm. the visible. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it's not so much adding to, you know, we say, well, you know, certainly if Jesus can't do it, it can't be done. Mm -hmm. That's true. And yet, you know, he said, I, you know, I leave my spirit with you. You know, I'm going away. And so we know that we are the temple of the spirit of God, at least as a Christian. That's, that's what I believe. And there are, I, I'm pretty sure there are manifestations of there are versions of that in other religions where, um, some sort of representational vestige of the deity is inside you, yeah. um, but still, it's 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 the it's the not yet and the now, and it's the invisible and the visible. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, it, what a privilege to carry <laughs> everything to everything, God in prayer. Yeah. But wow, what a privilege it is to call somebody up, you know, and or in this case actually seek help to get somebody to, to help you unravel the layers, you know, to get down to that point. I'm fortunate to have had that experience in my own life at around 50, I think, uh, to, to help me get, you know, work my way down to that point, as you say, mm -hmm. with those tools. And um, so is it, you know, it, does that preclude Jesus helping? Absolutely right. not. You know, I still I'm on my knees and going to him. But having that tangible, visibly tangible, how you say physically tangible person or, or, or authority or or person with those skills, you know, makes a big difference. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Scott? Yeah, you know, so I wear two hats, both as a physician and as a minister. Um, and within the, the medical world, uh, people are oftentimes surprised to hear me say that 50% of people who come to primary care doctors like me have no medical problem. Mm -hmm. You know, people come to the doctor for reasons they used to come to the priest, and it's all complicated mm -hmm. why. And uh, we spend an incredible amount of time and money and energy uh, wasted uh, on doing diagnostic tests on people because of uh, the presentation of a person has pain in their heart because all of our tests can never diagnose a broken heart. Yeah. Um, and we tell people there's nothing wrong. And it's true in my professions, both in terms of the of physicians and clergy. I mean, this just aren't things that it's acceptable to talk about for, for clergy or for, for ministers to acknowledge that they have their own mental health issues. It's like, so your question began with, asking about us personally. And, you know, I, I've, um, well, I don't feel like I, in my own life, have struggled with my own mental health issues. I have certainly dealt with it with people very, very close to me. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a true challenge. I mean, it is when, when issues of uh, mental illness um, impl implodes your family structure, then it's hard to know how to move forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, mental health can look so many different ways, right? Because what you're talking about, mental illness especially, um, when we talk about chemical differences in your brain, mm -hmm. right, um, or even, you know, personality disorders and things like that, uh, that's serious stuff, right? That's yeah. not, that's no joke. And, um, I mean, including depression and anxiety, I mean, those, right, you can run a gambit as far as the severity, but... Yeah. Uh, so my mom said my freshman year of college that I'll never forget. Um, and it applies to so many other things. She was talking about drinking. She didn't want me to drink. Uh, and so she was trying to convince me that I shouldn't be drinking and things like that. Totally right. I was under 21. I shouldn't have been drinking. Um, and in those conversations, you know, I was sort of like, you know, I, I hang out with good girls. Like, you know, we're not acting crazy. We're just, we're just having some drinks. It's no big deal. And she said to me, uh, an alcoholic at 19 looks the exact same as somebody who just is having a drink at 19. Mm. And I was like, whew, because mm -hmm. it's true. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that, that's, you, we run into things like anxiety, depression, all these different um, 
it's hard to know what's a symptom and what's a cause, right? That, you know, you're having heart pains. Okay, is this a medical issue or are you having a broken heart, right? Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, adding the subjectivity of how everybody responds, right? You know, there are folks who were in the building on 9-11 mm. who are, you know, walking around fine. And there are folks who saw it on TV that are mm. still in therapy for it, mm. yeah. right? And so it's like how everyone responds and all of that definitely has to play with it. And I'm interested in your thoughts about this, Scott, around in as a medical professional, as a primary care physician, seeing folks who are coming in with, you know, really mental mental difficulties that are affecting their physical health in some way, right? As related to COVID. I mean, COVID has no question about it just had a huge impact on people's mental health. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and it, and it plays itself out in, in multiple ways. One, um, you know, r- real anxiety that I see among people who've spent a year now trying to avoid the virus um, felt like they were finally getting to where they could get out of their house, yeah. take their mask off. And now with the Delta variant, all of a sudden going like they don't know what to do. Yeah. And, and that is not just something that people are able to just say, okay, well, here's the next step. Um, I think we're seeing it play itself out in real anxiety, mm-hmm. yeah. real depression. Yeah. Um, there's that aspect of it. And, and then what we're still dealing with is, you know, substance abuse became just such a powerful uh, path for people to cope. Yeah. And um, so people who may have been able to deal with their alcoholism at 19 or <laughs> whatever, right. um, or m- more emphatically, I think, uh, you know, narcotics and things of that like, I mean, that's just completely out of control right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and yet what's effective, 12-step meetings, me- meeting in person, one-to-one, I mean, 12-step meetings aren't particularly effective Right now. via Zoom. Right. You yeah. know, they, they are right. not designed for Zoom. They're, yeah. they're designed to be able to be in that room with somebody and hold their hand. Yeah. Um, we're not they're doing a very good job like that. Right. And I'm still reeling at the, the, at the figure you threw out that you, you think there's, there's somewhere around 50% of the people who come to you who, in fact, are not in need of, of medical care for you know, symptomatic of something, but more mental. And I would amend that to physical care because I kind of want to get into this idea that medical care refers to the body, right? Mm. And I think it's something that we, I mean, we're all very comfortable admitting, right? When you talk about medical care, I'm talking about bones and muscles and, you know, but I want us, I mean, I'm, I'm anxious to see us all kind of adjust, myself included, to this idea that physical health and mental health are part of your holistic mm-hmm. health. Absolutely. Our yeah. minds and our bodies are connected. Mm-hmm. This is within our residency at Church Health with yeah. Baptist. You know, uh, I mean, Joshua works with me on this all the time. Our young doctors struggle to be able to connect these two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, our young doctors want to be able to medicalize everything. They want to be able to yeah. do a test on it. Yeah. Um, they they want to be able to uh, have a diagnosis for sure and then a treatment plan with, without, and if, but if we ask them to talk about your question, how does it impact them uh, physically, personally? I mean, Joshua, I'll let you, I mean, we get <laughs> serious pushback on that, right? <laughs> really? We either get pushback or we get crickets, right? And and I've been uh, hanging out with one of your idols, uh, Granger Westberg, over the past couple of weeks, just preparing for our first um, formal spiritual care and medicine series this uh, this week. And, you know, he talks about, you know, in the rush to get to a diagnosis point, we just leave out the spiritual lives of our patients. And thus we are we are diagnosing folks with partial information, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. we aren't looking at whole person care, because we don't have an integrated understanding of our health care, um, or rather what our health looks like, mm-hmm. we're only ever playing with half a deck of cards when it comes to figuring out what health, what a health treat, which what a treatment plan, um, and what health looks like for yeah. all of us. Um, and the idea that we can compartmentalize the different areas of our life, body and spirit, body and mind, physical health and mental health, healing, curing, means that we do a disservice um, in, in any profession we're in as a physician or a minister to how we 
provide care for those who come to us looking for support. Yeah. I think that's actually a good time for us to segue. I don't want to get too deep into this too fast. Without a little music? Is that what you're Without saying? a little music, a little levity, you know? <laughs> a little know? art yeah. therapy. Yeah. A little something. Um, and in that, I mean, I don't know if there's anything quite as healing as as music, to be quite honest. So. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm wondering, you know, I know that there's science about this, but the, you know, where that actually applies in the physical realm, like, yeah. you know, that we think for sure we think, yeah, for sure, healing of the mind and, you know, uplift of the soul and music does all those things. But I'm convinced that that has its aspects. As you know, I mean, you've seen the the YouTube's of of the the person who's catatonic and. Yeah. Yeah. They put the headphones on, and it's like, it's like a completely different person. Right. Uh, so the the synapses and everything start to behave correctly. So this song uh, is, I think that there's an element of hope, or the lack thereof, that is culprit in people's you know state of mind, I should say you know mental health, yeah. that. You know, without hope, you're sick. Yeah. And so, um, you know, again, fortunately, and if you're listening, and if you've listened before, you know that he, this is not a Christian show, it's not a Jewish show, whatever. But as a Christian, I can speak to um, how, you know, hoping that this this Savior, uh, the, this Messiah comes back to rescue us, that that hope is so very real to me now, you know, in comparison to before this pandemic, yeah. like I've needed to rest <laughs> in in his arms, knowing that, you know, you're going to come back for me and that you've prepared a place for me and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, and the idea that that I am, we are, again, those of us who, who have placed our, our faith in Christ, that we are a bride. <laughs> And I think that's a that's its own sort of category of uh, you know some unpacking uh, to do there. Yeah, you know the contradiction of like you know the big manly man. You know, but I'm waiting for Christ, man. That makes me a bride, <laughs> you know. And so uh, this song says, "Someday my prince will come," mm. and I don't think I've ever heard a man sing it. I'm excited. But you're about to hear a man sing it. <laughs> Someday my prince will come Someday we'll meet again And away to his castle we'll go to be happy forever, I know Someday when spring is here We'll find our love anew And the birds will sing Wedding bells ring Someday when my dreams come true
someday when my prince will come someday we'll meet again and away to his castle we'll go to be happy forever i know someday when spring is here we'll find our love anew and the birds will sing heaven bells ring someday when my dreams someday when your dreams someday when our dreams come <laughs> Is that what we call smooth jazz? Is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly smooth. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Oh, ironically, when that was written, uh, the conversation of mental health or a man singing that was probably pretty... <laughs> There's two, 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 exactly two things that would be a problem. <laughs> a huge problem back then. Oh, my goodness. Um, but today, not as much, right? There's... Um, there's a lot of changes happening specifically around the topic of mental health. Um, the Olympics are going on right now. I don't know if y'all have seen and been keeping up. Uh, in that, most recently, and what has been gaining a lot of attention is Simone Biles' choice to forego her experience with the Olympics um, because of a phenomenon called the twisties, which is what gymnasts refer to as basically like your mind and your body not being synced up, which can be incredibly dangerous for such mm -hmm. a high intensity sport. Um, but the twisties aren't uncommon for everybody, right? <laughs> Where our mind and our body just are not <laughs> yeah. synced up. Um, and in that, uh, I mean, it's raised a lot of questions about where, what is the place for mental health in these kinds of conversations? What's the place of mental health specifically in high competitive sports mm -hmm. as somebody who played, um, soccer for 11 years and then I ran competitively in college um, and I mean had a pretty bright future ahead of me I could tell you that the mental aspect of that is I would say 85% of it mm -hmm. <laughs> um, especially such an individualized sport but the reality so Joel, is you, you had thought you might run in the Olympics right Oh yeah, I mean, I was yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't I think everybody knows that story. So yeah, yeah, I I was I was pretty good. Um I ran the 800 and I ran a 211 at the base of my height, like I began to um, drop time really suddenly, which uh, that happens at the 800, you like run the same time, same time, same time, and then you heat, reach a threshold and you drop, you start dropping. And when you drop, like you'll drop significantly. And right when I started dropping, that's when I got injured. So I know I could have run a 205. For anybody who runs 800, you know it's fast <laughs> as hell. So You were headed in that direction. I was headed to NCAAs, I was headed to Olympic trials. I don't know if I would have made the Olympics, but I was, I could have yeah. been on a relay. But <laughs> in that, all that to say that, uh, you know, the mental aspect of all of these things, whether you're, you know, in a high competitive sport or you're, you know, a surgeon or um, just something that is a high intensity mm -hmm. anything, um, you know that the mental game is a huge part of it. And so my question to you all is, um, where do you think the place is for in professional life? So for Simone Biles, that's her sporting career, mm -hmm. but in professional life for mental health. Mm -hmm. I, I want to jump in on this one. Yeah. Um, uh, and thank you um, to say, first of all, that the the issues between, you know, whether it's Naomi Osaka before the Olympics and then now Simone uh, in the Olympics, uh, you know, that, and especially with Simone, there's the there's the expected, which is just pressure, mm -hmm. and and ex, you know ex, expectations and anxiety and those things. But then, in comes a doctor, you know, who's you know, in this case, who, who is um, physically abusing, you know, uh, these athletes. I mean, so that's like, to me, it's just like, I just can't, I can't, <laughs> you know. So I'm mm -hmm. saying, it's already. 
enough to have to deal with. And now you got another yeah. layer of that, which has been going on all along. And then you go, how many of these kids have been dealing with that? But anyway, the one, the reason I jumped in is to say that I personally just came to Ashley, by the way, our special guest, Dr. Ashley Davis, uh, on the piano uh, as, as well. You know, he's slumming with us over here, but but he just came back from playing with Regina Bell and hey. and and people Bryson. Uh, people come to Memphis for their musicians, you know. What I mean, I'm just saying. But um, <laughs> you know, and I am coming in from a, a um, the first leg of a tour. I'll go back out tomorrow uh, with Dave Cos, Mindy Abear, and uh, Vincent Angala. So these are stars in the, in the area of smooth jazz. And the reason I mention that is because. I have gone through my own kind of uh, mental, um, you know, I don't know what to call it, but just maybe you can help me <laughs> I have to say that um, I go out with my band 90% of the time. I go out and play music that I've either written or arranged or selected, you know, so I know it. Yeah. Now I'm on this tour with three other artists and it's, we're, we're playing material that we put together. We, it's a show. Right. You, you know, you go from this and you go to that and to this and then to that. And only two of those songs do I know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm coming into this having to read a lot of music, having to memorize things, you know, where you're standing here. So now you're going to be over there and then you're going to be here. And then there's these background parts. And so, so there are times when one person is playing, Mindy is playing, the three of us are playing background parts, which again are written and must be memorized. Right. Okay, so it's one thing to the next. After a pandemic of <laughs> being <laughs> home, you know, for a year. So I went through this thing. I hit a wall where I could not do it. Like the way that I learned in general is little by little. I need to, if I'm going to learn the way to your house, I've got to go there 10 times. Yeah. Then I got it. And I and I will remember it. Yeah. But I have to do it. I have to do it. Repetition. In fact, by the way, in French, when we say, we say I'm going to practice saxophone. They don't say practice. Pratiquer. That means like you practice medicine. But in French, to to practice means to répéter, to faire la répétition, Mm. repeat. Right. So that's how I learned. But the reason I'm missing that is because here I find myself now at 63, um, back out in this domain where I was with Whitney Houston when I was 33 where it's a lot of pressure yeah. because there are people depending on you. When you mess up, maybe the audience doesn't know. Maybe they would, but everybody on stage yeah. knows, yeah. especially the person up. who hired you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ricky Minor in this case, right? So I, I mentioned this because I have had, yesterday was my breakthrough. It was the first show I played with kind of no mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but but it, it was a mental. I mean, Ruby, thank God I can text her and call her and say, "Well, I don't feel too good," <laughs> you know, because I just screwed up about five of these songs, you know. And and yeah, so I mean, the, the, it, on every level, you bring out the sports. I would add to that um, entertainment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! You got thousands of people looking at you on a stage. Yeah. And, and, and no background. <laughs> and that, yeah, nobody. That part isn't as bad. You know, I mean, you do get used to that. That's that's nice, right? But the part that worries you is like the people on stage, you know. Next to you, making sure. Yeah. I mean, you want to be there for your team, right? Exactly. Like, that's your that's team. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me go ahead and add on to that. Uh, nothing like trying to preach a sermon. <laughs> I know I'm it feels very low stakes. No, but no, 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 um, that could be high stakes. Like when you're sitting here, like I can't disappoint God. God <laughs> is going to be disappointed if no I bomb this sermon. Like, God, God listens to sermons, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think that's true. It's the hubris of the <laughs> pulpit, right? You're like, that's that's another podcast. Another podcast, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but but it's the it's the hubris of the pulpit to think that you know that God is listening to this sermon that you're Critique. going to that you that you're going to teach someone wrong, right? right. That you're offering quote-unquote bad theology or that the sermon just misses and doesn't help someone. But beyond all of that, um, we talk about mental health and professional life. I had a virtual happy hour with some uh, friends from seminary and uh, this past Saturday, Friday, Friday evening. And two of us grad- had graduated in 2019. The other came out in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. And He's uh, AME, you know, in an Episcopal form of government, you get sent to a church. And so he graduated in the midst of a pandemic and got sent to a church in um, Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And 
about an hour outside of Charleston, oh. middle of nowhere. Mm. He has a, a he has a parsonage literally across the main street from the church. Um, he has. I'm sorry, is he black? He's black. Oh, <laughs> he's Lord. a black guy. Amy, he's a black guy. <laughs> um, it's a vibrant church, but we spoke about um, how deeply lonely. It's been the past eight months. I mean, he spent eight months pastoring a church before he ever walked inside the sanctuary. Mm. Right? He's a, what, 25, 26-year-old pastoring this congregation with no other peer pastors around that he can depend on, no one that um, he can find as his support group in the um, area mm. with that can be a safe space yeah. right, that he can genuinely share. This is how, this is what hurts Right. This is where I feel inadequate. This is where I feel like I'm not measuring up. This is where I'm really worried without it ending up back, getting back to members or being used against him. Right. Um, And so we just spent some time just lamenting with him, just saying, yeah, dude, I couldn't do it. I told him straight up, I couldn't do it. You were pastoring uh, for the first time via Zoom for eight months. And then you're in the middle of nowhere trying to faithfully pastor these folks. Um, and so it's like to the sermon point, he was like, I don't got any problem writing the sermons. I can do the sermons. Mm, I can preach mm. the sermons. It's I have no spiritual resources, right, to help feed mm, me and sustain mm. me in this work. Mm. Uh, and so to be there to sit with him and to just lament and to say those things that we think are unspeakable and to let those hang for a moment, um, I think did more. Well, I know it did more because we talked about it the next day. It did more for him than... Um, you know, just a quote-unquote pray about it. And so I think in a yeah. professional space, peer groups, opportunities to, where you can be in relationship with one another mm-hmm. um, without judgment are really important. And for me, as a young minister, those relationships are crucial. So I'm sending them my uh, manuscripts when I'm worried about uh, if I'm preaching wrong. I'm ta- We're getting on Zoom just to talk and connect and see what's happening. We're holding one another up. Um, and without that, I think that, any kind of um, professional area without that kind of support can be really lonely um, and really heartbreaking if you don't have that kind of community to plug into. Yeah. yeah. And you, Scott Morris. You, well, you, as, uh, it can be life or death. Well, it can be. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I played two professional roles, that of uh, minister and uh, uh, physician, but... I'm also the CEO of Church Health, and we have, you know, 250 employees. And um, I, I can, my own personal experience there, that issue of it, it can be lonely at the top is absolutely right. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I'm supposed to always be on my game, and I'm supposed to always um, be setting a good example. And, you know, there's this concept of shadow of the leader. I am yeah. keenly aware that people are watching every move that I make. You can't have a mental health crisis. And exactly. I yeah. mean, it's it's hard to to have problems where it doesn't even have to be a mental health crisis. You can't have a bad day. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, getting getting mad yeah. and angry doesn't yeah. doesn't work. And yeah. um, uh, so so those things are challenging. And um, um, but I was also uh, you know. Joshua and I both went to Yale Divinity School, and uh, it just—it was a year ago this week that my exceedingly good friend from yeah. Yale Divinity School, Steve Montgomery, uh, was killed in the yeah. uh, bicycle, bicycle accident. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when you deal with somebody who was your my friend for over forty years, and then he's just gone, yeah. um, you know, you're supposed to just keep moving on but those, those things are just such yeah. terrible losses you, yeah. you can't just uh yeah. act like it didn't happen yet yet it's hard to know how to put it in perspective when you're when for me and i'm still supposed to be the ceo of church health and i'm still yeah. supposed to be um you know giving examples of of how you're supposed to handle stuff like that but so mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure how to handle it myself mm-hmm. well i mean is there a right way to grieve you know well it's funny uh Joshua mentioned uh, Granger Westberg, yeah. uh, who wrote a book called Good Grief, yeah. mm-hmm. which um, I'm not sure it's that great of a book, but the concept <laughs> of good grief, I think, is is provocative. To, to, to your point, Joy, I mean, it, is there, I don't know if there's a right way to grieve, but I, I actually would think there's probably a, some wrong ways to grieve. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's definitely um, unprodictive ways. There's the unproduct- unproductive grief, right? Yeah. Let me mention that there's a, uh, to give a quick plug for a, for a good friend, uh, that there's a 
podcast out, speaking of our podcast, and if you're listening, thank you again for listening. Uh, this is uh, The Mystic, but uh, Into the Mystic. Um, it's, it's called Great Grief. Hmm. Great Grief. And it's the singer, the jazz, the story jazz singer, Nina Freeline. Hmm. Uh, and her husband passed away two years ago, terrible, I forget, Lou Gehrig's or something like that. But he was the designer, the architectural designer of the African the Museum of African American Culture. History and Culture. History and mm. Culture in D.C. So he was the guy. And this, pl- this place is miraculous. I mean, it's just, you know, the design of just, just short of, you know, divine. But anyway, she lost him and her podcast is called Great Grief. Well, just how she's trying, you know, processing it all. And, and even to add to that, right, um, to think about just that connection between mind and body. Um, like the idea that my first visceral um, encounters with grief, right, were during seminary where um, I lost a number of folks in quick succession. And the year after, right, the, the, the week that it happened, I just was, I was in pieces. I didn't know, I couldn't, I couldn't focus, couldn't mm-hmm. eat, couldn't, I don't know what it was until someone helped me to realize it's been a year since you lost Carmen. It's been a year since you lost Adolfo. It's been a year since, and it all happened within this three-week span mm-hmm. in October, mm-hmm. right? And so it helped me to get some language to realize, you know what? October might be a rough month mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. and I've got to give myself a little bit of grace to realize mm-hmm. whether I like it or not, my body's going to be responding to some yes, traumas yes, that I'm still yes. working through, some grief yeah. that I'm still unpacking, Um and so just like to, to pull it together about mind and, and, and body, yeah. I think we, you know, we don't tell the whole truth when we talk about the physical impact of our, of our mental stressors. Yeah. But I, I do this issue of, of grief or good grief. Um, you know, there, there are ways that people do not handle yeah. the traumas of life. And when they don't handle it today, the implication down the road can mm-hmm. be very significant. Um, so it's, you know, I think incredibly important. It's really, I would say, one of the roles that uh, pastors uh, or, or whoever, whether it's physicians, counselors, you know, sh- should work on every day is to help people figure out how to best deal with these traumas in life because they are going to come. Um, and you have to find a way that not just what are you going to do today, but how yeah. is that going to impact you a year from now, 10 years from now, yeah. you know, yeah. for 40 years from now, yeah. um, you know, and, and most of us don't spend enough time and effort trying to figure out what that means for us. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is telling that across all races, most, um, the highest rate of suicide is men over 65, 65 and older which kind of speaks to that, like, letting things culminate and build up. That and build sounds up. like me, but keep going. <laughs> in that, I mean, a lot. there's a lot of different factors at play there, right? Like, you know, how mobile you are, if you feel like you're a burden on other people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's, I mean, I think it's notable that white men actually make the highest rate demographically of suicides, I think followed by black men and Asian men, I believe. And then I think after that it gets into some women, um, Black women happen to have the lowest rate of suicide. And so, I mean, I think that could be unpacked. All of those statistics could easily be unpacked. That's the reasons why that is. Um, But what I do notice most significantly recently is generational differences around mental health and engagement around of mental health. Um, I don't think 30 years ago you would have seen uh, Simone Biles make that decision or Naomi Osaka make that decision. Mm-hmm. I think some of that speaks to, uh, you know, their positions in life, right? That, you know, uh, you know, if you have a couple million in your pocket, you don't have to go to work, right? <laughs> um, but also, I mean, it also speaks to the, the tone that I think these newer generations, especially millennials and Gen Z, are in around mental health, right? That there's um, there's a meme that goes around that our our generation referring to other millennials are the generations of this job ain't gonna kill me. <laughs> and I think that that's, uh, I've seen that play out even within my own uh, workplace of a very different philosophy when it comes to the workplace mm-hmm. and my own health. Um, and so I'm interested to know what, um, what are you all's thoughts about the way this newer generation is prioritizing mental health 
obviously we like that, right? That's a good thing. But where do you think that, uh, where is the, where does the, the, the balance tilt when it comes to showing up to the plate, having a hard day? Because I think that even as a CEO, board member, minister, and doctor, you deserve to have a mental health day. Mm-hmm. I personally think that, I mean, you just aren't Superman, right? Mm. I'm yeah, not that, Superwoman. That is true. But I, I, I do, I have a hard time um, separating work from other mm. things because mm. I love my work. Yeah. It mm. feeds me. And if there's one thing that I see among millennials is that sometimes their work doesn't feed them in that capacity. Yeah. You know, I, you know, at Church Health, I believe that working for us should bring about three things, you know, more joy, more love, and it should drive you closer to God. Mm-hmm. That should happen in your work. Yeah. Th- those are not things that you should only get from things that are unconnected to work. Right. And I do worry that p- particularly millennials that do not seem to see that connection. They, they don't oftentimes realize that your work can give you that kind of meaning. Mm-hmm. And it, that is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's a good thing for your your work to feed you at that level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, let me say that, uh, you know, right about now I'm missing uh, um, a guy by the name of John Kilzer who would have been sitting in one of these chairs. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, mental health. And, yeah. and for folks who are listening, John Kilzer was an amazing musician who was also an amazing athlete who became an amazing minister and recovering uh, addict and leader of... Um, of, of, of folks who are in recovery, and he he and he was he met his demise trying to struggle through a mental issue, and yeah. uh, and he took his life. And so I just need to mention him. I'm also missing uh, Rabbi Micah Greenstein, and um, who is one of our normal panelists. I'm going to grab this microphone. I won't be talking when I grab it, but I'm going to hand it to Dr. Ashley Davis because you pastoring a church and being a touring musician, you got to give us two minutes of commentary. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Um, this is a, a surprise to be on with you today in this way, but sitting here listening, uh, my heart was full and my mind was racing and it was so much that was really relevant and so many things that, that um, God has shown me and revealed to me. Um, I was thinking. Um, first of all, I'm I am a I am a Christian, and um, but I, I say that I I really got into studying the Word of God because I was drowning, mm-hmm. um, and I found um, that uh, in the Word where it says that there's nothing new under the sun, mm-hmm. that that's an absolute fact. That um, um, is the book of history, the book of stories that I could find my life in my in, in many of those stories. And so I was thinking particularly about um, in in First uh, Kings chapter nineteen after um, Elijah does all of these exploits, and then he goes into um, all of the, he showed all the symptoms of of depression, yeah. clinical depression, and God asks him a simple question. He says, "What are you doing here?" And it's interesting when God asks questions. God doesn't ask questions because he has an intellectual deficit. But he asks questions to help you uncover um, the deeper uh, essence of things that are going on with you. And what was uncovered um, in Elijah's depression was Elijah had been busy, um, really exceedingly busy uh, 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 with defeating the prophets of Baal. But there was one thing that Elijah said that uh, really I thought was was key to what part of his problem was. And he says, um, I've been out doing all these different things, living life, and I am the only one out here. Yeah. I'm out here by myself. Mm. And um, uh, God's answer to that was there are 7,000 other people who have not bowed down to Baal and have refused to kiss him. Mm. And so a lot of times we get in these these periods of... of um, of depression and anxiety, the different things we experience. And it's because we, we have, uh, I think at times a Rambo complex about our own lives. Now, when I say that, 
I mean, you know, it, it, it makes for good Hollywood, but when Sylvester Stallone kills 400 people with his bare hands by himself, but it's, it's extremely unrealistic. Yeah, um, right. um, and so a lot of times we adapt the Rambo complex to living yeah. God's response, not only um, to helping Elijah, uh, Elijah uncover that, he gave him some very practical things too. He said in two, uh, two times in that passage, he says, "Get up and eat," yeah. and uh, and so yeah. a lot of times that you know when you're depressed, and you said earlier uh, when you were dealing with something in, in college that uh, you stop eating and everything. Those are the those are just kind of the things we do, uh, and a lot of times we do, uh, we think that God is devoid of of practical things like. Mm eat he said to him lay down and rest for a little while <laughs> a nap and food will fix a lot yeah, yeah. And, and so uh oh uh, that's what he that's what immediately uh came to my mind um the other thing that i uh, would share is with as as a musician um that's even biblical too for music um as therapy yeah. uh, uh thinking of of um Saul and his being plagued with the evil spirit and uh, uh, his servant found the cunning minstrels of mighty valiant man and God was with him. Doesn't say that. And that person was David. Didn't say David said anything, um, but it did say that David played his instrument and Saul was better as a result of it. So I know for myself uh, uh, and I'm like, Kirk, uh, just last night I experienced that. <laughs> on stage and in, in, in front of the, and it wasn't the thousands of people that frightened me, but it was the person standing right next to me <laughs> um, that I was terrified about messing up. Um, but um, just seeing music, uh, uh, music is something I used to play myself through storms yeah, and through yeah, things. And so yeah. you guys that's kind of my take. Down. We, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're eager to hear <laughs> what you're going to play now. So the, um, the idea that we need to pull back, that we need to unplug. Sometimes we say, as you said um, earlier, Joy, like, yeah, right, I'm just going to take some time off. <laughs> like, but a lot of people, that's not a reality. Right. Yeah. But what you can do, what we all can do is steal five. Yeah. And so I'm going yeah. to play take five. Thank you. 
Um, before Joshua leads us out in meditation, uh, I just want to say if you are struggling with your mental health, um, whether that be through anxiety, depression, or something more severe, uh, there is there are places to help. Um, I highly recommend psychologytoday.com where you can find a psychologist to fit your needs um, in the area that you want. Uh, you can specify location, you can specify gender, race, all of those things. Um, I also suggest um, checking out the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. It is never too late to get help. Um, I'm getting help. I continue to get help and I have for the past 10 years. So I cannot recommend highly enough. Um, if you need somebody, reach out to somebody. Yeah. For our meditation, uh, for the past week, I've been glued to the Center for Action and Contemplations Daily Meditations by Richard Rohr. Um, this past week's featured meditations authored by Barbara Holmes, who has some Memphis connections. Some of you will remember she was a dean of Memphis Theological Seminary, I think, when you were there, Kurt. Uh, and was a good friend of church health. And a good friend of church health. Um, and for me, a kind of missing link in some of the stuff I've been thinking through. Um, she spent the last week writing about crisis contemplation, you know, the kind of deepening and revealing and uncovering that happens when we find ourselves in crisis mentally, spiritually, physically. Um, and on Friday, she tied the whole series together with a meditation entitled God is Right Here, um, which coincidentally is also one of the gifts, the greatest gifts I've gotten from uh, Todd Richardson, one of the creative geniuses behind Crosstown Arts. Um, in his assertion that we are never closer to any closer or further away from God than we are right now. Mm. Um, she, Barbara Holmes in the meditation reminded us that when we lean into the mysticism of our daily lives, we recognize that, quote, the boundaries between this life and the life beyond are permeable and that our power is not seated in what is bestowed by politicians and society but to everyone willing and ready to recognize the moves of an active Holy Spirit. By being receptive to those things that we don't understand, we fling open the center of our being into the mysteries of the divine. That's where we try to hang out here at the mystic, in the space of mystery. So here's a closing meditation I've been ruminating on with an assist from Barbara Holmes and Todd Richardson. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Yes, that's right. God is right here. Not above you that you have to overstretch to reach it, not beneath you that you have to shrink to grasp it, not beyond you that you never quite catch it. It's right here, right there, in the breath you just took, in the thought that just journeyed across your mind in the itch you can't stretch, in the pain you can't bear, in the joy words cannot contain, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Not above you that you have to overstretch to reach it, not beneath you that you have to shrink to grasp it, not beyond you that you can never quite catch it, not another thing to accomplish, another expectation to live up to. It is right here. It is within you, so still yourself. Let all your striving cease. Let the strain and stress of your soul release that your life may confess the beauty of the peace found right here in this little space where kingdom and kindred meet, where love is made complete, where you recognize God within you, beside you, surrounding you in your midst. It is right here, right there. Amen. So we're glad you've joined us today for The Mystic. Uh, join us again. Uh, September 2nd will be the next time we're together. Um, we're here the first Thursday of the month, and uh, you can always go to the podcast, and you can find all the past recordings at the Church Health website, which is churchhealth.org. Have a good day.